It's my very great pleasure to be taking a short swan dive today with the award-winning author Polly Phillips. Um, We reviewed Polly's book, My Best Friend's Murder, in episode 31. Polly, a big welcome to the Diving In podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Uh, Well, it's lovely to have you. Um, You've recently joined the wonderful community of authors living in Western Australia. I know you're British. How did you find yourself here? Well, this is my this is my sort of a bit of a cheat. It's my second time in Perth. I've been here for about 18 months now, so I probably can't consider myself to be new anymore, although I'm still sort of hopeless at getting lost and that sort of stuff. Um, so we moved here almost 10 years ago exactly uh, with my husband's work. He's um, a drilling engineer for an oil company. Um, so obviously Perth was one yes, of those places. Place, that, yeah. um, and actually we've been really lucky with all the places that he's been sent to mm. when you sort of consider some of the places yes. that have to find oil. Um, yeah. Perth is definitely top of the tree. So we came here in 2011 and thought it was just going to be for two years. And at the end of that two years, we were moved on to um, Copenhagen. And oh, um, lovely. That's, that's yes. a lovely posting as well. Yes. Although <laughs> it's quite a, quite a weather transition to leave it's, in December. Oh, goodness. <laughs> with our eight week old baby, um, oh. leave the sort of sunny beachside Perth and then hit snow in Copenhagen. <laughs> um, so that's quite a shock to the system. But initially we were really excited to move on. We, we'd enjoyed our time in Perth, but we didn't necessarily feel it was a place for us. Um, mm. I'm from London originally, and I suppose I was a bit surprised by things being closed on Sundays and that Yes. Stuff. Um, so we sort of waved goodbye to Perth and thought, oh, well, that was a lovely experience. So we'll, yes. we'll, we'll never be back effectively. Yeah. And then within about six months, I was climbing the walls trying <laughs> to get back. My, my poor husband had listened to me moaning about missing London the entire time that we were in Perth. <laughs> Went back to Europe and then in six months I was saying, oh, I want to go back to Perth. <laughs> and actually it took about six years to find the right circumstances. Um, so that was six years that he had of me nagging him. About and are you Perth. glad to be back now? Thrilled. So <laughs> okay. thrilled. Um, and now hopefully we've just um, got permanent residency. Oh, congratulations. Now here to stay. Yeah. And guess what? The shops are open on Sundays now. <laughs> it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. Yeah, I think we've become a, not truly global. We're still a, a small village in some respects, a small town, I should say. But we have, things have changed quite a lot, really. Yes, and I also just think that a bit of perspective, just sort of seeing the other places that we've been to and, and, and now we've got our daughter and, yeah, I mean, just there's so much to love yes. about Perth. So really, I, I always say that Perth is a brilliant place to live as long as you can travel somewhere yeah. else every now and then. <laughs> yes, it was, uh, it was interesting timing to arrive um, and yes. then be locked down. Yeah, yeah, very hard, very hard. And you've been in Dubai for a period as well, so I think we should mention that your novel, My Best Friend's Murder, um, won the Montegrappa Writing Prize at the Emirates Literature Festival. How did that all that come about? Oh gosh, that was so exciting. I So I was living in Dubai, as you say, and we lived there for three years. So I did actually enter that festival competition three times. So certainly no overnight success. And it was um, it was only the third time that, that I won. And I'd, I'd been entering with an old manuscript, this sort of passion project, a historical fiction that I was uh-huh. sort of really into. And we were talking a little bit off air about sort of editing and, and how you assess your own work. I, I think I was too deeply involved in this manuscript that I was writing. It was sort of based on my grandparents' story and all this sort of stuff. So I just didn't have the perspective to see that it wasn't 
what the market wanted slash very good. So I sort of flogged that to death (laughs) and entered it into this competition twice and got nowhere. And then I finally thought, look, I'll just write something different. I'll just write something easy. An author friend of mine said, why don't you just take a break? And even if it just gives you a bit of a palate cleanser and then you can go back to what you Mm. were doing, it just might help you. And I just fell in love with the story that I was writing. Um, this story about sort of two toxic friends and I had sadly a lot of experience to um, Mm. draw on Um, and so I thought right third time's the charm slash three three strikes and you're out I'll enter this competition one more time and if I don't get anywhere then I'm just throwing my toys out of the pram and that's it I'm never entering it again. (laughs) What a fantastic story I mean that's incredible and you know also to go from historical fiction manuscript into this completely different story altogether, very contemporary. I just want to remind the uh, listeners a little bit about the book. Oh, yeah. So My Best Friend's Murder, as you say, centres on the toxic dynamic of a very long-term friendship between two very strongly drawn characters, best friends Izzy and Beck. Um, They've been intimately entwined with each other and with each other's families since they were children. Listeners will remember that the book opens very dramatically. It's February. The narrator, Beck, discovers her friend Izzy sprawled and bloodied at the bottom of a set of stairs, just breathing. Um, So we know from the get-go there's possibly been some foul play. And then the book backtracks to December, two months earlier, and charts the events that lead up to that awful discovery and also the aftermath following it um, for all of the characters. A great deal can happen in eight weeks, can't it? Yes, it's amazing. Um, (laughs) I think I just love writing about Christmas. um, It seemed such a sort of natural time to set it. And yeah, I just wanted to keep the pace going. And I think lots of stuff that I'd read and, and I'd done a writing course and they sort of talked about you need to have a sort of end point in mind. Yes. You've got to be going towards something. And because I wanted to keep it quick paced and sort of a page turner, yes. uh, it did seem that eight, eight weeks kind of worked. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, <laughs> it's great. And it's, it's almost freeing. Mm. I mean, I imagine it's freeing as a writer to think, well, I have to cover this sort of eight weeks in the life of these women. It's like a snapshot. Mm. And yeah, fast paced is exactly what it is. What is it about these characters in particular? How did they present themselves to you? Well, I think I knew Izzy straight away. Um, yes. Izzy is one of those sort of shiny, perfect people. You see them a lot. Um, yes. They seem to have everything together. They're, they're usually blonde. Their <laughs> hair is always shiny. Um, and Tickety boo perfect. Exactly, exactly. Um, the sort of people who would talk about the work-life balance and just seem to nail everything they do. Um, and I've sort of known a lot of women like that. And I think once you sort of scratch beneath the surface, mm. sometimes things can be quite different underneath. But I grew up in a place uh, called Wandsworth in London, um, which features in the book. Mm. Um, They say, write what you know. So I very definitely Mm. did. And that is sort of jam-packed full of yummy mummies, which is exactly what Izzy is. And then Beck, I think quite a lot of these shiny people do tend to have a best supporting actor or actress around them. And that's sort of what Beck is. She's, She's the sort of second in... I'm not second in commands, wrong. She's sort of waiting in the wings, I yes. guess. And I poured quite a few of my own insecurities into Beck. Mm. So it was a little bit disconcerting when early readers um, said that they found her really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's more that 
Izzy finds her annoying. Mm. I, I didn't find Beck annoying at all, but clearly Izzy at times is still quite exasperated with her and, and, and short with her. And to me, it's that irritation really. But it, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't that Beck was irritating. I think perhaps she's frustrating because mm. it's very difficult unless you're in one of those friendships mm. to understand mm. why people persist with them. But I think you do. And I think you can see it in, I think there's sort of been a lot written about toxic relationships between men and women. Mm. But actually, I think that kind of those elements of control and domination are in friendships just as much as oh, they're yes. in romantic relationships. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, is it that Beck is also, she's sort of comparing herself, isn't she, all the time with, with Izzy, you know, the beautiful designer home, the luxury car sitting outside. You know, we're, we're seeing Izzy's life through obviously the lens of Beck's. Um, exactly. And I don't think she's craven in a true sense, but she's sort of lamenting, isn't mm. she, that Izzy's got it all. She, yeah, she is, Izzy is sort of the um, the mark by which she yes. compares her own or judges her own life and her own success. But I think actually worryingly, we do that more and more as a society. And I think because we've got such sort of ready access to social media and such an insight yes. into other people's lives and well, the lives that they want to protect, yes. present, certainly. The, the perfect life that they yeah. present on social media. I think we, we, our whole life is about comparison. Yes. And yeah. I think Izzy and Beck's friendship is, as you say, age old. So it existed long before social media. So it's almost like a prototype in that way, in that yes. they know each other to be envious of each other and yes. have that kind of toxicity. But I think you can have that comparative envy on somebody that you follow on Instagram yeah, and absolutely. probably will never ever come in yes, contact with absolutely. in real life. Yeah, and Patricia Lockwood in her recent book has, mm, has yes. certainly, uh, certainly captured that. It's interesting, isn't it, because... Despite that, and I'm very conscious of not giving too many spoilers <laughs> because, you know, people will not have read, read the book, but hurry up and read it and then we can talk even more. But, you know, despite this sort of niggling, in, I call it sort of this niggling at the beginning of this book in the relationship and, and Beck giving us a bit of an insight for, for some of the issues, it's still Beck that she you know, chooses to visit on that December morning and to run run to her and to say, look, you know, yes, I'm newly yeah. engaged. Yeah. Uh, she's the first person she thinks of to tell. Uh, and I wonder, initially I thought, well, you know, may, that's not just showing off the giant ring that she's got. It's sort of like a reflex action mm. because they've got this very long friendship. And that really resonated for me that you do move back into the comfort of a relationship even when you know that yes. there's a talk or you or you think there's some toxicity there it's easy isn't it well I think often we sort of allow friendships this leeway of saying oh she's like a sister or yes. uh, she's it, she's like family which sort of means that there are ups and downs <laughs> yes. and that these people have the sort of right to upset us and and you know no friendship is perfect there are no. some perfectly healthy friendships that go through those kind of ups and downs yes. but you're right that's the first person she goes to see because Actually, despite the sort of negativity in their friendship, there's some real positivity as well. Yes. And, you know, Izzy has been there for Beck through some pretty tough yes. times. Yes, And vice versa. And and I think that's what I was trying to get across in the book, that no situation is black and white. No, absolutely. And that's why she stays in the friendship, because there is enough goodness in there yes. to keep her going. Yes. Despite the badness. Yes. And I, I actually wanted to talk about that, actually, because there is this seems to be a power imbalance. Well, there is a power imbalance. Yes. I think it's a power imbalance anyway. I agree. And on the face of it, Izzy sort of has everything mm. and Beck has rather a lot less. But 
you know, we and we assume because we're looking through Beck's eyes that Izzy's very comfortable mm. in her luxury and her all the things that she has around her. But I got an in, an inkling quite early on that that Izzy really isn't necessarily mm. comfortable. I think she's one of those people that's always searching, looking for the sort of next big thing. I think you're absolutely right about the power balance. But what's quite interesting is it's it's actually how it's the way that we frame things, isn't it? Because on the face of it, you could say that Izzy's massively more successful. She's got the husband, the big house, the daughter, yeah. the job that she's doing very well in, whereas Beck's living in a, a smaller two-bedroom department, two-bedroom yes. department, not sort of a high flyer at work and only newly engaged. But actually, Beck works on a magazine, uh, you know, a really yes. successful magazine that people would give their right arm to work on. Yes. And Izzy's in insurance, and I've done both of those jobs, and actually neither of them are as glamorous as they seem. <laughs> but people are always much more interested yes. in working on a magazine yes. than working in insurance. And, and Beck has a certain freedom. Yes. That, that Izzy doesn't have. Yeah. And actually, Beck has a lovely relationship with Izzy's daughter, yes. who adores her. She gets on well with Izzy's husband. Yes. She's newly engaged to a person that she wants to marry. Her life really is not that pale by comparison yes. to Izzy's, but it's it's how she absolutely absolutely use it. And I think that goes back to the power balance of just imbalance. Sorry, of just automatically assuming that this other person is better than you, and then fitting the pieces into the puzzle to yes. support your argument. Yes, yes, and to perceive comments, although I do have to say I think Izzy is the absolute mistress of the snide comment, <laughs> the passive <laughs> comment. Oh, she's yeah. just absolute fantastic. And haven't we all been there? Haven't yes. we all been on the <laughs> receiving end of those snide comments that are laced with a big smile? Yes. And, yes. and I can I can see Izzy <laughs> saying them. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I loved about this book, Polly, is that as you read it, you can think, oh, I've been there. Mm. You know, you, it's so relatable, isn't it, really? Yes. Uh, and yeah. clearly you are also writing from some experience yourself yes. of toxic relationships. Yes. Going back to the point about Beck ru rushing to Izzy's house to tell her that she's engaged, we really do want to believe the best of our good friends, mm. don't we? Yeah. And so, you know, we have Beck's inner voice, a little bit concerned that Perhaps Izzy has an ulterior motive or, you know, obviously Beck's own insecurities eating away at her. But then Izzy will say something nice to her mm. or Beck will see it in a different light and she just wants... Not, she wants so much. She does, doesn't yeah. she? She wants her approval. She wants yeah. uh, Izzy's approval, but she also wants to not be right. She doesn't yes. want her instinct about Izzy to be right, does yeah. she? Even though that beginning section, which is obviously... Um, as a writer, that's the bit that you submit. So it's possibly the sort of bit that you polish m most. Um, it, yes. It's the bit that goes into competitions and it's the bit that goes when you're trying to get an agent and all that sort of stuff. And so it's sort of jam-packed with that passive-aggressive. I and mean, I think Izzy says something like, oh, it's what you've been wanting for so long. Yes. And so, Thanks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just all of these little slights. She, yes. just, you, because they know each other so well, Izzy knows exactly which wound to press. She does. And I, I love the uh, when she brings the packet of pastries mm. um she sort of says have you won the lottery yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there's there was some absolute classics that I just loved uh and Izzy was very very strong I, I it was interesting later on I, I wonder is there a point where Izzy moves from just that sort of passive snide comment having a dig at her friend you know maybe playing out some irritation to 
a little bit more manipulative. You know, is there a point where where Izzy sort of crosses the line? Yes, I think to some extent. But again, it depends whose eyes you see yeah. it through. I think I'm probably um, more defensive of Izzy than yes. the average person. But I think Izzy's issue is that because this relationship has existed time memorial as her with the star and Beck as the also-ran, when Beck has her own exciting news and, and she's engaged and she's got this big ring and her yeah. fiancé's got a promotion and it's all sort of suddenly starting to come together for her, Izzy feels really threatened. Yes. And whether she's conscious of that or it's in her subconscious the whole sort of pattern and framework of their yes. friendship is changing and she doesn't like it yes and I think that's where the manipulation comes in she through needs, fear yeah and she needs to be the star so she sort of starts inserting herself into the center of yes the relationship yes. between Beck and her fiance yes Ed. but again from one perspective you could say well she's just trying to help <laughs> I didn't buy but, that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but then, I mean, again, we are viewing this through Beck's lens and, you know, we have the title of the book yes. and, you know, we have Spoiler. some, so, yes, we have some well, you know, well-placed snide comments. So, I mean, and I think that's very clever of you because I think you are leading us, you know, in many respects down a particular path and all is not Mm. You know, all is not what it seems. Uh, it takes two to tango. And I think that's an interesting point also that I've thought about again um, this last week when I've been thinking about us having a chat. You know, I have reflected on relationships that I've had that I would describe as toxic. But I think we have to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge the, the role that I played in that relationship as well and sort of accept some responsibility. I mean, it seems to me that Beck has benefited mm. from having this sparkly friend mm. you know she's enjoyed it mm. she, she hasn't actually had to step up yeah. uh, in the way that Izzy has stepped up yeah and so I think we do have to accept res our own responsibility w for enabling toxic yes. relationships yes, do you think exactly I think that's absolutely right and I think that's what writing this book sort of showed me I've sort of um alluded to having had toxic mm. relationships in my own life and I think writing this book effectively made me take responsibility. I had a very close friend, like Beck and Izzy. I mean, mm. she wasn't Izzy and I'm not Beck, but definitely that sort of the intensity of their relationship and then the way they're intertwined, their lives are sort of melded into one. I very much had that um, for about 15 years, I suppose. And when it came to an end, I sort of looked back on all of the times that I'd been wronged and couldn't believe that I'd put up with it for so long and all that sort of stuff. And actually writing the book made me take um, responsibility and actually two to tango is absolutely right. Mm. I think in the toxic friendship, it may seem like there's a sort of an aggressor and a victim, but fundamentally, as you say, there's the enabling aspect. But also I think one of the worst things about toxic friendships is they bring out the worst in you. Yes. And so you actually start behaving in a way that is, if you actually faced up to it, not particularly yes. nice. And I think I sort of thought a lot about the friend who sort of inspired this idea. And I often think, what would she say if she were interviewed? <laughs> Hopefully she never will be. But she could probably yes. come up with a list 
16 pages front and back to quote friends of all the times, all of the transgressions that I made that yes. don't seem like anything to me yes. because I was not the one they were done to. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really made me sort of think about that. And as we know, which without giving any spoilers, there are certainly behaviours that, that Beck engages in that readers will, will be fascinated with. I also love the fact, Polly, that, you know, I pride myself on being able to pick... <laughs> <laughs> you sent us on quite a few red herrings. Yes. <laughs> and I love that. I absolutely love that. I did not pick the ending of this at all. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> but as regards some of the other characters in the novel, I imagine all authors are great observers of life and great observers of people. Do you typically collect characters? Do you store them away? No. I, I'd like to. I think I collect scenes or um, actions I'll see someone doing something and I suppose if you take that to its logical conclusion and it is collecting a character but no I am so moments moments that's exactly it so I'll see someone doing something and I think oh I'd like to put that in a book but I suppose because all of my books have a they're not autobiographical in any way, but I suppose I take a situation that I've been in and then stretch the concept right to its very limits and then come up with the sort of scenario so I've always I can always identify with at least one character in there as I'm starting to write it so then often the other characters are picked from people around me but then just again stretched to their logical conclusions so there might be a sort of base the book I'm writing at the moment is based on sort of playground politics and Big Little Lies, Mean Mums-esque. Yes. And so, yeah, I've sort of, there are people that I've come into contact with that will be stretched to their I can't wait for that one. I can't <laughs> wait for that one. It's fantastic. I think you're living our lives for us, Polly. I think this is just fantastic. Do you mind sharing with us some insights about your process of writing and, and I guess this story in particular, but... Are you a writer who sits down with a fixed idea of what you're going to achieve in a day and I'll stop talking and let you tell us? No, sure, I'd love to. Um, it's interesting because I've written two, so My Best Friend's Murder is my uh, first book and The Reunion is now, will be released next year, so that one's done too. And actually my process for um, both of them was completely different, which was a surprise to me. Yes. I found that I planned My Best Friend's Murder a lot more and I wrote it more slowly and I sort of fine-tuned it as I went along and edited Mm. I would start when I sat down to work instead of writing chapter two say I would go over chapter one before I then wrote chapter two so each chapter was polished before the next one was begun whereas the reunion I just scribbled the whole thing out um Consequently, it needed a lot more editing at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So sort of two completely different approaches. And then my third book, the one I'm writing now, is a bit of a hybrid. But I definitely do plan. I'm not, they they talk about being a planner or a pantser. Yes. I cannot fly by the seat of my pants. I don't have the confidence as a writer to do that. I like to know where the story's going, where I'm going to get to. I just don't necessarily know every stop on the way. Yeah, okay. Now, just tell us, because I hadn't appreciated that you have one coming out next year. That's The Reunion. Yes. Excellent. That's very exciting. Mm, It is very exciting. And also, we should say that um, My Best Friend's Murder is due to be released in the UK very soon. Is that right? Yes, it is due to be released in the UK on the 8th of July. 
Fantastic, because we have a lot of listeners to the podcast from the UK, so you've heard it here. Oh, That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, please go and buy it. So I just wanted to finish up with a few little things that we have that we always ask. You can see behind you on my pen board I have a few little oh, questions. Oh, um, So were you a big reader as a child? Yes, voraciously. I uh, lived about two roads away from our local library, and so that was sort of my first um, big step of independence as a child I used to I was allowed to walk to the library on my own and the librarians in there were fantastic they were always recommending things Uh, that was just my favorite thing to do and then actually what I do which was (laughs) a bit naughty is I'd also go to the local WH Smith and read the books on the shelves uh, because I didn't have the money to buy them Um, (laughs) that's fantastic they probably didn't notice you because I was short (laughs) I love that I love that what is your earliest story or reading memory as a child? So the other thing that I used to do was I would read under my covers after my light had been turned out. I would take the bedside lamp and stick it under the duvet Mm. cover or the doona cover. And and so actually I would burn holes into the covers, which was obviously gave away what I was doing. Um, (laughs) But I think my probably, my mum used to read to me a lot and she read to me quite late in terms of I was quite old and she was still reading to me because it was just such a lovely routine we had. And so she read me Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And so I just, that's a lovely, I mean, it's not particularly early. No. Um, I was probably sort of, I don't know, nine or ten. And yes. That memory is really um, strong and I, and I love it. And I remember my godmother saying afterwards, I'm so jealous that you haven't read it yet to not know what happens because it's just such an amazing book with yes. such a fantastic yes. turn of events that you don't see coming. And she no. said, I'm so jealous that you've got that to come. Oh, how lovely. Mm. This is such a special story, mm. really st- special. One more question on the wall. What are you reading at the moment? What are you diving into this week? You, do you read when you write? Is yes, it, You I can do. do both. Yes, and actually it's my birthday coming on a, up in a couple of weeks, so I always prepare a book list for my husband of books that I'd like. Yes. And it's, it's getting longer and longer, <laughs> and I keep saying, have you bought me anything? Because I've just got something else to add. <laughs> Luckily, he hasn't bought me anything yet. Um, I'm reading um, a book by Erin Kelly called Watch Her Fall, right. um, which is a thriller set in the world of ballet. So it's all centred around Black's, uh, not Black Swan, sorry, Swan Lake. Oh, yes. Um, so I'm learning a little about uh, Swan Lake that I didn't know. And then what else have I got on my, I, I try and read at least one or two books a week. I'm just about to start The Silent Listener, actually, by okay, Lynn yes. Yowett. Yowett. And I met her at the Margaret River um, Writers Festival yep. and she was lovely to talk to and we sort of had a bit of a fangirl. I think she's gone and got my best friend's yes. mother and I've got the silent listener and I'm oh, fantastic to read that. And as a runner, because I know you run, do you listen to anything while you run or do you listen to music? Do you have a track? Do you know, sometimes I listen to the Diving In podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I'm doing a slow run, I'll that listen. That was not planned, can I just say? <laughs> Um, if I'm doing a slow run, I'll listen to a podcast okay. um, and I do like the writerly ones. So diving in is definitely up there. And if I'm running fast, I can't. I have no. to listen to terrible 80s music and blaring. That's fantastic. We'll leave it there, Polly. Thank you very oh, much for so coming. Fun. It's lovely Thank to have a so chat. Much. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Good. Dive.